Good morning, everyone. It is really good to see you all. And I see there's some visitors. Welcome to some visitors here. And uh, welcome to the faithful and the old and the, the young. It's good to have you all here as well. Such an interesting time of the year, isn't it? Who likes Christmas time? One, two, three. Oh, there's a couple of people who like Christmas time. All right. Lionel shook his head ferociously. So I'm not sure what that means. But um, I find Christmas to be very ambivalent. I oscillate between uh, lots of joy and lots of sadness. Um, it's kind of a weird time of the year, isn't it? Uh, I don't know why. I'm trying to figure out, but I think I found the passage that we are going to look at this morning to dis- dis- explain for us why Christmas seems to be a bit what we would call the crazy season. Why is life crazy? I think it's written in the DNA of the first Christmas. Uh, you'll see something about that there. Um, there are more cars on the road because people have got more time. And so they infringe on my driving freedom. Um, I've got more time to think about life and think about the things that went well this year, which I can count on about a hand, and the things that didn't quite go the way I wanted them, which I can count about on two hands and two feet. Um, so I find I oscillate quite, uh, quite a bit during Christmas time, a really crazy time. And we come and we sing these incredible songs. And uh, the first song, we want to change the wording because we want to make it more biblical. Because if this was um, um, the invitation for all of us this morning, I, it would be very bad news. The first line has got a mistake in. Can somebody spot the mistake? Come all, ye faithful. All right, will the faithful please come to the front? It should actually say, come all unfaithful. Isn't it? That's what Christmas is all about. It's the good news for the unfaithful. For those who know how they ought to live but doesn't and can't. It's for them to come and look at the king who has done it faithfully for all of us, isn't it? So we're going to check. Can we change that word? Can we sing it, come all unfaithful? So that we will know and recognize that we are all unfaithful. That Jesus is the only faithful one. That's why Christmas is good news. All right. So now that I've got your attention, I may have upset some of you, which is fantastic. It means you will listen more carefully. Um, Let's stand and let's sing our first song together. Come all unfaithful, joyful and triumphant. Come here and come to Bethlehem and come and behold him, born the king of angels. Father, yes, what an incredible thing. Come and enable us by your spirit so that we may come and adore him, Jesus Christ, born the King of Angels. Thank you that all glory on heaven and earth belongs to him. Thank you that we can have you appear in flesh to us. Lord, enable us to adore him to marvel over him, to notice the massive difference between him and us and yet him being like us. Father, we pray that your spirit may enable us to comprehend what cannot be comprehended, to accept what cannot be understood and to rest in your goodness and glory. We pray this morning in Jesus' name. If you look at there in the middle of that uh, song, probably one of the most incredible little paragraphs 
pinned this time and uh, talks about our pining. I actually looked up the word. I wasn't sure what it meant. Um, and this is what the dictionary says. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. It means um, to suffer mental and physical decline due to a broken heart. Sounds familiar, isn't it? And the world is pining until he appears and the soul feels or felt his worth. So that's really what we hope this Christmas will mean for you. That uh, as, you, um, as you pine. And um, I think I was here last year and you all have pined a little bit physically since then. You've been declining. Um, hopefully mentally you have grown and spiritually you've grown. But isn't that incredible? The words as they captured, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. Is there a thrill in you when you look on the Lord Jesus Christ? Incredible, isn't it? What we are saying. You look at yourself, you look at this world, you look at all the plans you've made for the year and, uh, and they didn't quite work out. Here is a message that tells us that there's a hope for this weary world. Isn't that incredible? For yonder, from beyond this world, has broke in a new morning. That's what I pray and hope that your heart will experience something of again afresh and new this morning. So let's pray. Father, yeah, this world is laying in sin and error and it's pining. We see it in ourselves, we feel it, we notice it in the mirror, we hear it in our voices, we see it around us in our families, we are bombarded in the news. And so Lord, it's so important for us in order to drown out all of those things is for us to notice the appearing of your glorious Son. And how we long that our own souls, Lord, will feel his worth. That's our prayer this morning. That's our prayer really every day, Lord. But especially at this time when consumerism skyrockets and tempers flare and uh, traffic jams and uh, last-minute shopping and uh, all the, the stuff of this world crowds in from everywhere, we pray that as your people we may be able to crowded out by looking at your son. May we again anew feel the thrill, Lord, for a hope for this world, not just for ourselves, but for this entire world, as we see the dawning of a new day in Christ Jesus. Thank you that you've made us part of it this last year. Thank you that we are reminded that you are the God of kindness and compassion and truth Thank you that you're a God that confronts us in our brokenness and in our sin and rebellion. Thank you that you do not walk away. Thank you that you step in. Thank you that you actually make yourself part, in one sense, with the problem so that you may overcome it. So, Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these words. Thank you that they kind of roll down our tongues, but we pray that they will also echo in our hearts and in our minds, and in our soul, Lord, and in our very bodies. So to you belong glory and thanks, Lord. So yes, we do want to fall on our knees. And we do want to hear 
not only our own voices, but the angel voices singing that you are our Savior. To you be glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, we thank you that glory streams from heaven above through your Son. We thank you for this day that we are remembering. We thank you that you have sent your Son, love's pure light, into this world of darkness and hate and brokenness. So, Lord, we thank you that grace has dawned and that grace is available for each and every broken heart here today. Thank you that your message, in one sense, always stays the same. Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Lord Jesus, we come this morning, we come in our own brokenness, we come in awareness of the brokenness of this world, the brokenness of so many of our family and friends. Lord, even if you notice the brokenness in our enemies. And we pray that uh, as the world in one sense celebrates this day, which they don't really understand, we pray that our message will be to invite them to bring all their brokenness to him who is love and life and grace. So we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. So you want to turn to Matthew chapter 1 this morning and we'll have a quick look at this section. I read an article uh, for ministers preaching during Christmas time and they say nothing beyond 22 and a half minutes. Um, so I'll try. 22 and a half minutes. Apparently the attention span of people during Christmas time. Uh, they've done in quite a lot of research about that. So we'll try and see if we can, uh, we, can, uh, we can work it out. So here's a kind of an indication of the Christmas season. Uh, the first Christmas. And see if you can pick up how crazy this is. This is so familiar that we don't realize how crazy it is. Just try and use your imagination a little bit as we read it. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Nice Christmas. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. <laughs> did you pick up how weird this is? You've been planning your wedding 
and your wife goes away for three months to go and visit her cousin who fell pregnant in her old age. And lo and behold, your wife comes back and she's pregnant. And it's this guy called himself the Holy Spirit who did it. I mean, just think about the shock in Joseph's heart and mind. His dream girl he found. And now she's been unfaithful. And she says, it's supernatural, it's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> this is weary wacko. And he's such a good man, he says to her, yeah, I, I don't want to expose you to public disgrace, because you could divorce in those days. So they were betrothed, okay, remember, in a slightly different culture. Betrothal meant that you were actually married, in one sense, already. You were not sleeping together for about a year in in that betrothal time. If you want to break up that betrothal, you had to do a legal divorce because you were kind of married, even though you have not slept together. Um, You could do that publicly. You could bring all the evidence and shame the person into the ground and destroy them forever, or you could do it very silently and quickly and just give a little certificate and they will send you away to some other family, some faraway family, so that nobody really knows what's going on. Everybody will gossip about it, but at least you will not have a public trial in which you would be exposed. This is what's going through his mind. Um, this is Christmas time. <laughs> Weird, isn't it? He's planning how to divorce his wife so that neither him nor she really gets destroyed by this terrible thing that has happened. And then he gets a little visit from a supernatural being, an angel, to have a chat with him. Anyone of you have had this this morning? I mean, this is really weird. It's out there. Telling him this is God himself who has impregnated your wife. And uh, what is growing inside is from God himself. And you're like, yeah, yeah, really, yes. Sure. It's amazing, isn't it? And then even more amazing, he gets up and he does exactly what he's told. And he doesn't sleep with his wife for another five months until she gives birth. How many guys have you managed to get married and not have sex for five months? And this is really weird, isn't it? It's really out there. You think you've got a strange Christmas. You see why I'm saying this passage tells us that the DNA of Christmas time is weird. It's upside down. Expectations get dashed. Pain, suffering, confusion. Why have I lost what I've longed for? There's a lot of stuff going on here, isn't it? Very fascinating that the world in which we are living is really reflected in the scriptures in a very real sense that we can make sense of the realities. Sometimes we have a longing for something we can't name during this time of the year. I don't know if you found that. My daughter taught me a new word. When you sit and you look at people and you see them rushing around and doing their things, um, it's a new word that I never knew, uh, discovered. It's called the word sonder. S-O-N-D-E-R. So it's in sonder in Afrikaans, but you now pronounce it sonder in English. It means to look at people and to recognize that their lives are as crazy and as out of control and as meaningful and meaningless as yours. That's to sondering just to look at people. Great word. Apparently it was coined in 2013 and it's written in the Dictionary of the Absurd. So there's all sorts of incredible things you discover during Christmas time. 
But here is this incredible thing that although his expectations were dashed in the beginning, God lays a new foundation of life for Joseph and for Mary and for the rest of the world that we are still, why are we doing what we're doing today? So I hope that in the midst of all your confusion, all your sadness, all your joy, all your happiness, all your hope at this time of the year, that you may hear again the message you already know. Because Christ's message, as I've said there very simply, Jesus is Emmanuel, that means God with us. So that phrase, God with us, you can really break up into three concepts by focusing on each of the words individually. God with us, God with us, and God with us. You got it? That's really the Christmas message to a large degree. That what we find here is that God is with us in Christ Jesus. He is Emmanuel. And that's the message that um, uh, Matthew is working hard for us to have a look at. So let me just quickly run it through. I mean, in verse 23 we are told, uh, this happens as the scriptures have predicted, as the prophets have predicted, the virgin will conceive and give birth uh, to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, I don't want to get into the detail. Go and do yourself a favor. If you've got lots of time and uh, you are prepared to really battle, then go and read Isaiah chapter 7 to 9 to understand what that verse actually means in its original context. Quite difficult little section, not the easiest part of the scriptures to understand, but here's the basic gist of what is going on. It's a time of war, it's a time of unsettlement, it's a time when brothers are fighting with one another. Is that Christmas time? Family feuds? Israel and Aram, the ten northern tribes and Aram are fighting against Judah. Judah has got one of the most wicked kings on the throne called Ahaz that ever lived. Ahaz is worried that they will be killed and overrun by these uh, 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 two other kings. God then says to Isaiah, go and tell him, God is with you. God, who is in control of all things, who is infinite in power, infinite in ability, he will be personally involved with saving Israel from extinction. And just by the way, don't think you are going to escape real suffering because the Assyrians are around and they're going to swirl through Judah until it comes to your neck and only your head is going to stick out. But I am with you. I am the Emmanuel. I will show my power in weakness. I will show my control by giving birth to a weak little baby child, which did happen in those days. Isaiah had two children, which is what it's referring to. And before they could know how to say mother and father, Aram and Israel was overrun by the Assyrians. And God showed that he is with them. But he's with them in the weirdest way. Show us your power. And he says, I'll show you my power by giving you a baby. I don't know how you think how strong babies look to you, but they are pretty insignificant little beings in terms of that. So God again shows he's completely upside down, even in those days, and now he's showing it again. 
Literally, God says, I have always wanted to be with my people. I have provided for them everything in the Old Testament for them to come to me, but they refuse and they can't. So what I will do is I will come to them. Finally, as one of them. That's what Emmanuel really means, is God has come to be with us. Now, there are two personal implications that I put down there for you. The first one is called a personal crisis or a fork in the road. You know what a crisis is? A crisis is a point in a story where from now on things will change, either for good or bad. That's a crisis moment. Here's the interesting thing. Can you believe that God can become human? Now, the least likely people in all of the world was the Jews to believe that God would become a human because God is infinite and God is personal and God is holy. For the Eastern religions, it's not a problem for God to become human. You all have seen the movie Avatar. It's an Eastern understanding of spirits that can take on human form. That was not a problem for Eastern people to believe that God could become human in some or other form. For Western ideas, theologies, lots of little gods that's out there and they can take on human form was not a problem for them. But for a Jew to come to the understanding that the infinite God can become a finite human, not possible, according to their worldview and understanding. So here is the very simple, but not an easy thing. It's a fork in the road. Wherever Jesus bumped into people, he had an effect like somebody calls him, he's like a big bullet ball. He affects people. Some wanted to kill him, throw him off a cliff. Others said, depart from me, go away. Others fell down and worshipped him. The majority actually killed him in the end. Jesus seems to have quite extreme reactions to himself. This basic statement, Jesus is God, is one of the most amazing intellectual issues that you're going to have to settle in your life if you're ever going to get there. Can God become a human? And can he actually live among us? Or do I live from my understanding and from my perception and from my expectations? So just to help you, do you understand yourself? Hands up, quickly. Anyone here who feels that they really understand themselves? So if you can't understand yourself, how on earth are you going to understand God? Or your spouse? Or your children? Or your political party? If you're going to say, I want to understand before I will commit, then you are going to never commit. You will be oscillating and you'll be confused and your heart will be adrift in life. The good news of Christmas is that God knows you cannot understand this, so he will do it in any case, whether you can fully comprehend him or not. He's stepping to our world. Jesus is God actually come in the flesh. There's the first implication. You've got to make up your mind at some other stage, if you haven't, whether you're going to believe yourself or you're going to believe God in Jesus Christ. And so we just don't have this passage. We've got all the other passages in the Bible for you to compare and contrast yourself with this person who claims to be God himself. Before Abram was, I am. What do you do with a person like that? You've got to somehow come to a conclusion. And that's the message we need to take into the world. You see, lots of people say Jesus is a great teacher, and Jesus is a great moral man, and Jesus is a great guy, and Jesus is a great prophet. 
not an option open for you. So the first thing is intellectually you have to come to terms. This is a fork in the road. Jesus kind of splits things. And you've got to make up your mind. Are you going to trust him or are you going to trust yourself? The second thing, which is fantastic, once you've accepted him, the fact that Jesus is God gives you the greatest possible hope that you could ever have. You know what it means? It means that longing that you have for something more than what all your efforts or everybody else's efforts can give you in this life is for real. It means there's more to life than what you can see. There's life before life, there's life during life, and there's life after life. Isn't that good news? This world is not everything there is. This is great hope for a world with all its problems. Isn't it? That this is not all there is. There is more to life than what you can see with your eyes. God has stepped into history, into time, to show us exactly that. If you are living for this world, and you hope this world will satisfy you, you're a fool, says the Scriptures. Because you won't get it. The greatest hope lies in the fact that God has stepped into this world. And the greatest hope lies not only like for the world with all its problems, there's the greatest hope for us with all our failings. Do you know that your failings isn't the end of you? If you come to understand that Jesus is God. Your failings is not your end. Is that good news? Is that good hope? The fact that there is this enormous hope that Jesus Christ is the one who tells us, I can give you life beyond what you can dream, achieve, or imagine. Come to me. That's good news for our world, isn't it? During Christmas time, it's a great thing to tell the world there is hope because Jesus is God. Then the second thing that's important, we see that Jesus is one of us. He's human. God with us. So there's the second side of it. Not only is he God, he's also human. And Tim Keller sums it up like this. He says, the ideal has become human. The absolute has become a particular and the invisible has become visible. Again, if you have time, you go and Google it. Go and Google the history of philosophy or the history of religion, and you will see that it's uh, very difficult for people to come to this understanding, that there was this being who was fully God and fully man at the same time. All the beings are either more God, less human, or more human, less God, and they've got all these complications that you have with that. The history of religion keeps on telling us that uh, which is the most important, the ideal or the concrete? Is Plato right or is it Aristotle? For those of you who do philosophy, anyone here loves philosophy? Who is, the, who is right in terms of understanding? And here you find that the incarnation breaks through all the binaries and all the ideas and categories that we can actually imagine. Here we find what we normally talk about, principles. You like principles? The principle of the, of the matter is, here you find principles in human life expressed. Here you can see it. Here love loves. You all know you should love, right? Do you love all the time? You know the ideal, 
Do you know the reality of the particular? Here you find the ideal is particular in Jesus Christ. No conflict, no shadow, no turning, no confusion, no upsetness. Love loves all the time. Holiness is holy all the time. Not just the ideals, but the ideals within their particulars. Isn't that good news? Jesus Christ actually comes and shows us what it is to be human. He is the true human who actually helps us to recognize what it is to be human. So again, two quick personal implications. A humble life of service. So God, and we... The moment you think of God, you think of power and glory and bigness and something beyond there that's at the top of the pile. When God shows himself in visible form, he goes to the bottom of the pile. You want to know the nature of this God? You've got to see that he is a servant. He comes for the broken, for the sinner, for the rebellious, for all of those. That's who he's coming for. Isn't that amazing? What does it mean to be human? It's not to associate with those at the top of the echelon, but to associate with those at the bottom of the pile. That's what it is to be human, says Jesus. I show you the fullness of my humanity lies in serving those who do not deserve your efforts. <laughs> Christmas is a great time, hey? Christmas is radical. It's upside down. It will shatter everything you think you understand about life when you bump into Jesus Christ. He always turns things upside down. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that this God comes and serves you? And he comes and serves me. He shows again power and weakness. All his power lies in service and invitation. And that brings us to the second implication, infinite comfort in suffering. When things are going well, hear me out, see if you're with me, if your life is going more or less according to plan at the moment, you really feel alive and part of the human race, isn't it? When things don't go so well, how do you feel? Number one experience of human beings? Lonely. You don't feel you belong. You don't feel life works. Life is not as it should be. Suffering. Jesus Christ came into this world to willingly choose to suffer for you. So that no matter what suffering you find yourself in, whether it's because you have to work during Christmas time, anybody here has to work? <laughs> you know how lonely I feel at the moment? You have to work during Christmas time? Do you think about those people getting up at five in the morning to go and unpack the groceries that you just pile into your little cart? You know what they feel like? Just think about this. You just pull out your credit card and you flash it. 
Other people have got to travel from station to station to station to get there in time before anything happens so that you can have everything that you want. That you're entitled to because you worked so hard this year, didn't you? <laughs> Christmas is insane in Jesus Christ. He comes to serve. That's what he's come to do. And he comes to share our suffering. So that no matter what suffering you go through, you can know you're never alone. Anyone here, hands up, felt misunderstood this year? You felt misunderstood? You felt not being acknowledged? Not being thanked for something you did right? Do you feel the pain? The sorrow that comes with that? You know what Jesus Christ says? I know exactly what it feels like. I've been there. I've done that. And you know what? I did not fall into a little heap. And I did not stop serving. And I did not make people make commitments before I carried on. You feel alone? You feel rejected? Jesus Christ says, you're welcome. I know exactly what it feels like. And nothing of that can separate you from me. If you've had a problem and somebody else comes along and they want to encourage you, have you always found it very encouraging? No, because you can see in their eyes that they know they have to encourage you. They've got no idea what you're going through. Isn't it? It's so nice to know someone who knows your pain. That's why things like AA work. Divorce recovery works. Because people who know pain can find comfort with those who have suffered the same kind of suffering. Jesus says, no matter what suffering you've experienced, you can come to me. I will understand you. And I have overcome for you. Come to me. You see, Christmas time is for us a time to look at Jesus Christ until we can see him in our suffering. And yet not being crushed by our suffering as we tend to be. So that we may have hope. Coming back to that first point we've made. Isn't that amazing when you think about Christmas? Christmas is a wacko time. It is a world upside down time. And then lastly, Jesus is God, is the God man with us because he is for us. Again, Tim Keller says the incarnation did not merely happen to let us know that God exists. It happened to bring him near so that he can be with us and we with him forever. God wants to be with people, and he wants people to want to be with him. That's why he made himself clear in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God has revealed himself in many ways in the past, but most of them were pretty terrifying. Clouds of smoke and clouds of fire and storms. And Moses says, God, can I please see your face? And God says, no, you can't. You can see the backside of me. And Moses glowed. So much when he came down from that mountain that everybody scattered in front of him. And we get to see the face of God in Jesus Christ. We have behold the very Son of God, full of grace and truth, says John. Moses says, you know what? 
I wished for it. And you get it. And God comes again in the weirdest way. He doesn't come in fire and in storms. He comes as a baby. Huh? It is insane. He had to learn to walk. God had to learn to walk. He had to learn to speak. He had to learn to make his bed. Talia? He had to learn to clean up. God had to learn all those things. He came to be with us. Because he wants to experience every single thing that we experience so that he can be with us. So that he may have us with him. I mean, that's really, really weird when you think about it. If you've got all the power that you've always desired, what would you do with it? Just think about it. What would you do if you have all the power you've always wished and dreamed about? Would you become a baby? Nah, you won't. If you are doubting, let me just tell you straight out. You won't. There is not a chance in heaven that you will do it. You will sort people out. God becomes a baby to serve people in order to save them. Friends, Christmas is insane. It really is a message the world should laugh at. Because if you don't get this, it really is just a joke. Absolute joke. Why on earth would God do that? God does it because now He is not coming to judge, but to be judged. Would you use all the power that you have to be judged? Can you see why Jesus is just out there for all of us? Would you do that? I think you know what the answer is. And so there's so much about Christmas you can talk about. It really is an insane time for us as Christians. To think through and battle through and again remember the glories of what we are saying when we confess Jesus Christ as Lord. He's come to serve me. He's come to want to be with me. He went all the way from glory to absolute shame and rejection. And abandonment for you and me. And what do we do? To be with him. I don't know. And so here's the incredible thing. Three personal implications of that unbelievable reality. The courage to take the world's disdain. So the world is laughing at us as Christians, and increasingly so. Imagine Joseph's friends. Joseph, I see uh, Mary has put on weight since you got engaged. No, no she's, uh, she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Really? Is that what you call it? Who would believe him? Disdain. Shame. You really couldn't wait, hey, Joseph, so now you're saying the Holy Spirit did it. The Holy Spirit led you to do what you did. The world hates the idea that there is a God that is true and living. And the world hates the idea even more that you can con find content to that God in flesh. 
They talk about God. They want to talk about Jesus. Because Jesus you can touch. You can see. You can investigate. You can go and do your history work. You can evaluate him. You can investigate him. You can know if you know. The world hates that. If you follow this Jesus, you will have to have the courage to say to the world, you know what? I do not live by your expectations and understandings. I live by the reality of Jesus Christ who's come to reveal himself to me through the scriptures and by the Spirit. You're going to have to have courage to do that today. Just stand up and say, I believe this. I believe this insane thing that God became a human to serve us. Secondly, you will need courage to give up your right to self-determination. The motto of our world, to yourself be true. It is going to take you courage to stop doing that. To stop believing that. To Jesus be true. It's going to take an immense amount of courage to do that. You are going to fly in the face of the world, of your own flesh, and of the devil. Because all of them are saying, if you try hard enough, you have control to determine your own life's goodness. That's the message of our world. That's the message that we have believed. The scripture says it's going to take courage for you to deny yourself. Pick up your cross and to follow him. To imitate him. To be with him. To want to be with him. To want to be like him. It's going to take immense courage, isn't it? To be able to do that. It's interesting in the passage. The angel says to Joseph, Joseph, you will call him Jesus. Now, normally it's a parent's right to tell, give the child a name, isn't it? You know how many people say, I will become a Christian if... This and this makes sense. You know what they're trying to do? They're trying to name Jesus. They say, I will come on my terms. The angel says, no, 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 no. This is God in the womb, and you will call him Jesus. Joseph, just remember, you are going to worship that baby one day. Because he is going to save you from yourself. You are not in control of him. He is yet. To be in control of you. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? <laughs> Christmas is a funny time. So here's the good news. We can get courage from Jesus Christ to reject the world's view. We can even get courage from Jesus Christ to reject the view I normally have of myself. I do not determine my own goodness. It only comes through Jesus Christ. And then lastly, it will take courage to confess that you're a sinner and that you need this Jesus. Which is really actually the first point, isn't it? You need to realize that you're a failure. That's why I changed the word in the beginning. Oh, come all unfaithful. You are a human failure. Do you know that? You were made... To love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and all other humans like you love yourself. 
Hands up. Those who have accomplished it. Does it hurt you that you're a failure? Sin means to have failed to be and to hit the mark of your creation. That's what it means to be a sinner. Name him Jesus because God will save you from your failure. Great news. I do not have to pretend that I'm not a failure. I'm ashamed that I am a failure. But I'm glad that there's one who's come to save failures. And his name is Jesus Christ. How can I boast in anything else but Jesus Christ who's come into this world to save me from being the failure that I know that I am? But it takes courage, isn't it? Takes courage to speak the truth to yourself all the time. I need forgiveness for my past sins. I need power to overcome what I'm facing right now. And I need the power of Jesus Christ to bring in the new world where there will be no sin and brokenness. I will never get it right without Jesus Christ. Can you proclaim that? It will take courage to say that to people, to say that to yourself, to say that to God. Please will you save me. I can do nothing to change that reality. Thank you that in Christmas we are reminded that that's exactly why you've come. So, last question. Has the craziness of Christmas grabbed your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Have you made up in your mind whether you will believe Jesus Christ is God or not? Have you understood the enormity of the hope that that holds out for the world and for yourself? Have you experienced, in one sense, the fact that you cannot be truly you unless you grow in service to those less than you think you are? Do you know that? Do you love it? Do you know that nothing that you will go through in this life can ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus who has gone through every bit of suffering and temptation and confusion that you can ever go through? Do you know that reality? Do you grow in that? Has Christmas grabbed you? Can you say to the world, I don't care what you think. I care what Jesus thinks. Can you say to yourself, stop trying to determine your own life, Ludwig. Follow Jesus Christ. Can you say, Lord, I am a sinner that needs to be saved all over again and again and again. More fully, more really, until you come in glory and bring in the new heavens and the new earth. As Christmas craziness has got all of you. Let's pray together.
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in this we read so many things that is, in one sense, really just beyond our comprehension. We thank you that your spirit, the spirit of your son, is the one who can help us to have a proper assessment and judgment of ourselves. And so we come, Lord, we stand before you and we ask you, open our eyes that we may adore him. Help us to recognize that he is the hope from another world that we need. Thank you that we can admit that. Thank you that we can confess it to one another. Thank you that we can shout it out to the world that we need a Savior and that he has come in Jesus Christ. May indeed your name be glorified, Father, through the spirit of your Son, enabling us to have exactly the same view of you as he had. And we pray this in your name. Amen.